Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. We don't hear of the idea of sacrifice much today. Whereas the Reformers have correctly helped place our justification at the completed sacrifice of Christ, uh, we yet must see our calling as Jesus' followers to be willing to give and, yes, even sacrifice our desires, comforts, and allegiances to this world in our pursuit of obedience in following Christ. Thanks for listening today as we continue into Philippians chapter 2 to hear how the Apostle Paul viewed his willingness to be poured out in his service to our King. One of my favorite things to receive from my daughter are the little art and craft works that she makes for me. She'll come home from, uh, from preschool and she'll have something new to show me. Dad, I made this for you. and I've got a whole wall down in my office where all I have is pinned up little pictures and drawings from her. Uh, but recently she's been getting a little sloppy, recently. And uh, she handed me this one the other day. She said, Dad, this is for you. And I had this tiny little scribble up in the corner. And I said, no, 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 no. Come on now. If you're going to give me something, put some work into this here. Because I'm going to hang it on the wall. And I'd like something that has a little bit more substance to it. Because that's what a good dad would do, right? So she came back with this one. And yeah, I thought that was much better. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's wonderful. I love to get uh, these things from her. But... It means more when it has substance behind it. And I find that this is true for us in our faith as well. Uh, We need to be careful that which we bring to God and really give evaluation over our own hearts to ask, are we bringing to God our best? Are we really willing to give up of our time, our energy, our effort in our worship to God? Or have we maybe duped ourselves into thinking that, oh, if I just put it on autopilot and go through the motions, it still counts and... I really feel like the more that we look into our world today, that becomes kind of the picture for what, which we would be tempted to live our own faith by. What is it that you offer to God? Are you bringing Him your best? Have you put in effort and energy, the creativity, all of the joy and the love that you know from having met the Lord Jesus Christ, having known what forgiveness means to you, that you would desire to serve Him with all that you are? You know, this is probably the easiest and the hardest thing at the same time in Christianity. The writer C.S. Lewis had uh, a lot of wonderful words in putting it to the church and that that's what it means to become a Christian. It means you don't bring him so much of your money and so much of your time as if that's what God wanted. You don't come to a building to say, I've checked my religious box for the week. Now I'm good. That's not what God wants from you. He wants it all. He wants it all. From us. More than that, he deserves it all from us. I wonder how much value you put into your faith. Is, is Jesus worth it to you? I wonder if you ask yourself that question. What, what is he really worth? How much is he really worth? What would you be willing to surrender, to sacrifice, to give up for your faith? Or how much would it be until the point where you would trade it all and say, you know what, this, this whole thing I, I really ain't worth it. Remember the story of Abraham in the Old Testament? Remember that? God said, I want you to sacrifice what? Your one and only? Yeah. Can you imagine? I'm not, I'm not sure I could. And many of us, in fact, all of us, I believe I'm within the realm of safety saying, have not been asked to sacrifice that much. We must give some evaluation over our lives because you and I, we live in a world where it's so easy for us to just think coming to church makes you a Christian. 
and it doesn't. We need to be careful with that because our faith needs to be something that really flows uh, from inward. And it's not something that's pressed upon us by the external. It's not that you come to God and say, well, I guess I can't get drunk anymore now that I'm a Christian. I guess I can't cuss anymore. Gosh darn it, shoot. I, I better be careful there. <laughs> go, go ahead and try that. As a Christian, try getting drunk and see how you'll feel after that. Go ahead and as a Christian, try and using harsh words and see how you feel about that. And hopefully, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will recognize that the lifestyle of the world really doesn't mesh with the faith that I carry. And it's not something that I've just grown accustomed to because it's been pressed in on me from my religious tradition. But it's something that's boiled up from within me. It's a change that I want to see from inside my heart. It's, it's how I desire to live, not just when I come to church and everybody's looking at me, but I, I actually want to live faithfully when nobody's watching because it's inward. Recently at Christmas, uh, we got my son a, a gaming system. So this is kind of a big deal. We've never had a gaming console in our house. And uh, what I and my wife soon discovered is that he doesn't understand time limits on it. <laughs> and, when, and when you put uh, restrictions in place, like finish this level does not work. Because finish this level could take three hours, really. So that doesn't work either. So uh, we bought this. See how smart I am? Look at this. You can't hide from this timer. Um, the, the other thing I, I discovered, uh, we, had, um, we made s'mores last night and uh, had cheese balls. Do you ever see those big bins of cheese balls? I mean, super healthy in our house right now. Yeah. Um, uh, Sadie does not know how to limit herself to cheese balls. We found that out as well. Now, it's easy for us to chuckle at the way in which children don't recognize those things, but what about you and I? It, it, is our obedience to Christ something that we're just relying on external forms to keep us in line? Or is it something that flows from within? That we desire inwardly to follow Jesus Christ, to be obedient to Him, to offer to Him our very best. Again, the world that we live in isn't going to think like that. It's going to wait for someone to stop us. And we're going to find ways in the world to really make concession for our desires. And people will make excuses to say, oh, no, that's all right. And, and don't worry. Uh, our faith in Christ needs to be more than that. Uh, maybe you've seen how some people at a, well, I'm thinking of as adults here, but even as, as, a, as a student, I can remember uh, complaining at sporting events. Boy, they should do this better. And they pass the ball more. And you should, well, what if someone were to say to you in that moment, well, why don't, why don't you get in the game? Well, no, 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 no. That's not for me. That's, that's for them. Well, why don't you go tell the coach? Nah, no, no. Well, why don't you sign up to be the assistant and help out with that? Well, no, no. See, it's one thing for us to stand on the sideline and really point out the things that we really don't like or that should change. And it's altogether different to get in the game. Here's what you need to know. When it comes to Christianity, you've got to get in the game. If church is boring for you, get involved in church. Fix what you don't like. Come and be part of it. There is no version of true Christianity that's allowed to be played on the sidelines. You need to be in the game. And it needs to be a desire that flows from within us. This truth, it comes in large part for the meal that we're going to celebrate. Because it comes from those who belong to Jesus Christ. Children of God. Part of the family. Do you know that I don't really care if other kids 
follow the timer. I really don't care. In fact, I don't care if other kids uh, gorge themselves on cheese balls. I don't care. Why do I care about my kids? Because they're mine. Because they're mine. And I want what's best for them. And they carry my name. If you belong to Jesus Christ, then you belong to the family of God. And therefore, the same desire that I have that one day I won't need this, but that my son will actually know, you know what, I, I get it. I know that there is actually a benefit to turning the screen off. And that flows from within him. I want to see the day where I can throw this in the trash because he's grown so desirous of following the obedience of his mother and father that he doesn't need something external to help him do that. But it flows from within. I don't really care if other kids do that. That's your problem. I don't, that, not, not my problem. Not my kid, right? That's your problem. Um, but I care if it's my children because they're mine. And if you belong to God, you are his child. And the same must be true for you. Your Christian life, your walk through this world of obedience must be something that flows from within. A desire that you have from within to be obedient to God. And really not like our world would say, just check the religious box for the week and go home and watch the game. And when is church going to be over because this is taking too long? I mean, that, that is not going to be enough for you on judgment day to say, God, I sacrificed an hour every week for you. Is he interested in so much of your time? God, I gave 10% every week when in, went into the plate. Is God interested in so much of your money? What does he want? He wants all of you. He wants all of you. We're going to get to a real uh, great part in the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles, please turn to chapter 2. Uh, Paul's going to start with a therefore. And uh, it's, all, it's always a really good section in the New Testament when it starts with a therefore. So um, a- as you turn there, I want you to remember where we've been is really kind of the, the, the gooey heart of the book of Philippians found in chapter 2, where Paul says, if you're with Christ, you need to be with one another. If you're reconciled with God, be reconciled with one another. And how do you do that? You do that with pursuing humility by looking at, remember this from last week, right? Stop looking at ourselves, start looking at others, and look to Christ, yeah. That's the whole way of doing that. And so we're going to start in um, verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2, where he says, therefore. Page 1827. That's page 1827 in our Pew Bibles. I'm going, to, I'm going to read through our passage, and then we're going to dive in and find four main observations with a bonus one for a conclusion. So here we go. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. In which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It's really the end of that passage where Paul says, I'm being poured out upon the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. That that was Paul's expectation for the church. That they would be serving. 
and that that service would be characterized as being sacrificial. He says, I'm being poured out upon that. So I entitled this message, The Sacrifice of God's People. It's where we need to give our attention today. And I have four observations. So number one, sacrifice and serving Christ means giving, first of all, your compliance. You're following in line with that which God has told you. I'm obedient to Christ. I want to follow God. I want you to see that this is the first place he begins when he says, therefore, in verse 12, uh, notice he starts out with a lesson on integrity. Now, if I had my son up here, I would ask him, um, what word means doing what's right when no one is watching? You ask him that after church and see what he tells you. But hopefully he will say integrity is that word. And I want to teach him that's what integrity means. Notice what Paul says here. He says, uh, as my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. That's integrity. Oh, pastor's coming. Put, put, the, put, put the beer away. Pastor's coming. <laughs> I grew up in the UP. Beer is fine. <laughs> oh, sorry, pastor. I shouldn't talk like this. Or, or whatever. It is. If, if you are covering something and hiding it, understand this. It, I, don't, I don't care. I'm not God. But God sees everything. Paul says, I want you to obey. Can you imagine living with the Apostle Paul? Holy moly moly. I'd be always... Yes, sir. I mean, oh, thank goodness he's gone. We can relax now. Paul said, you always desire to obey. It's something that flows from within you. My dear friends, I want you to continue in obedience, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Obedience and compliance is a, it's a matter of integrity. We need to follow God in obedience when people are watching and when no one is watching at all. Additionally, he, he uses a word here that throughout the New Testament um, references a completeness, a wholeness. He uses the phrase fear and trembling. Do you see that in verse 12 at the end? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that word is, um, so we can talk about this more in Bible study, but it's a specific figure of speech that, that contains a single idea. He doesn't mean, okay, church, this, oh, we're going to church. Kids, are you ready? Oh. I'm so afraid. What's wrong with my parents? The pastor said fear and trembling. <laughs> That's not what it means at all. It, it was back in their day, in the first century, a way of saying wholeness. So that if you obey with fear and trembling, it means you've, ob- you've obeyed completely. Anybody who's following with fear and trembling is somebody who's following completely. And so the, the second aspect of our obedience after integrity is complete. Um, if, if I... O- if I'm, my son obeys me on everything except one, he's not obeying me. If I say, uh, clean your room, and he picks up everything but leaves the bed a mess, you didn't say the bed. You know what I meant. <laughs> Apparently, I'm, I'm giving you a little picture into my house right now. <laughs> you didn't obey, right? Because uh, fear and trembling is for the Apostle Paul that word to the Philippians that they would understand as meaning when you obey, it's with a completeness of obedience. It's not that I give God all the parts of my life except this one little part that I want to keep for myself. You give Him all. You obey completely in all things. Now raise your hand if you're perfect at that here this morning. Anybody? Anybody perfect? Quick. 
So understand that this is a process for every one of us. That when it comes to obeying Christ, it's a continuing of giving over the demons that we carry and the faults, the temptations, the mistakes, anything that you face. It's a continual process. It's a whole other sermon to preach, but uh, the Bible will say that what you do with the deeds of the flesh is you kill them. Be killing them in process. The big word here is mortification, but we do that with fear and trembling in the sense that it's complete and it's whole. The last part of obedience here is probably the most important. And I've, I've included a few more verses I want to share with you on obedience. And it means you must evidence your salvation. You must evidence your salvation. The reason why I have to make this a key point is because this is repeated throughout the New Testament. I have a few passages I want to show you. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says... Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, yet only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. So after I preach to others that I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul understands he must evidence inwardly the truth of his salvation. That it flows out of his life. As one, not do you like the picture running aimlessly? I just picture somebody running through a field, right? Imagine that in the Olympics. Mark, get that. Or a boxer. You, you, you've seen these guys when they're training, right? They're, they're working hard. They're, there's intentionality behind what we're doing. Same is true for us. First Corinthians 11, he says, But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. It's a lot, large part of what I'm trying to preach this morning. We've got to give evaluation to look at ourselves. He says again in 2 Corinthians, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I, I would love to talk to anybody if you have more questions about this. If at any point uh, you have, boy, I wonder if I've really ever given God all that I am to him. I would love to speak with you. Hebrews 3 verse 14 says, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Again in Hebrews 6. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Second Peter, this is one of our readings from this morning. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. In 1 John 2 verse 19, they went out from us. These are people who left the church. But they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Or maybe Jesus' words, I think, are the most poignant of all. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. He replied, if anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. The first thing Paul has to say here as verses 12 and 13 is that obedience is an evidencing of the work that has been done in your hearts. Jesus must be that one inside of you, causing you to desire to obey God. 
if when you hear the preacher preach, or if you hear from the Word of God and you go, then you need to examine your heart. You need to see if there actually is a place in your heart where Jesus is king and ruler and sitting on the throne. Because I promise you this, even though obedience to God is hard, right, and we continue to work on it, if Jesus Christ rules in your heart, then you will want to obey Him. It won't be an external form of obligation in your life. You will want. You will fail. Don't think that I'm talking you're perfect here. You're going to mess up on this. But you're going to continually want to desire to follow after Him. Number two is this. Uh, sacrificing and serving Christ means giving your cooperation. So look at verse 14. This is a fun one for a preacher to preach. Look at 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Amen. I, I need... I need some more volunteers for church. Anybody? <laughs> hey now, do everything without complaining or arguing. It's a fa- fantastic passage. So complaining means um, grumbling, murmuring. That, that's kind of, just, oh, can you believe that we've got to do this again? And oh, I can't. Oh, that's, just, that, that's complaining. Um, arguing is not just disagreements, but it's disagreements without seeking resolution. Hear, hear me now. It's okay to disagree. I, I'm not asking the whole church to, you know, like the same sports team or something like. We can have differences of opinion, uh, but what we need to do is seek reconciliation where those differences become transgression, where they become offense to one another. Have you ever been offended? Yeah. How, how quickly are you desiring to go to that person and be like, "Hey, you offended me"? No one does that. You know what we do? We go find someone else who's offended and we'd be like, did you see how that person? Yeah, they are. And that's just who they are. That's, that's what we like to do. That's not this. Because that's easy to do. God says you need to sacrifice in your faith to him. That's what it means. And sacrifice means seeking reconciliation. Do everything without complaining and without arguing. So that's the first part. The, the other part was actually earlier in the chapter because I put up here, cooperation means living with humility. And so if you flip back just a little further in Philippians chapter 2, I just got to repeat it again. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but, what's it say? In humility, consider others better than yourself. So no complaining, no arguing. We need to walk in humility. If we do, sacrificing and serving is going to look like cooperation. And this has to happen within the body. Number three is this conformity. If you look in verse 15, you'll see the result of this. So that, Paul writes, you may become blameless in a crooked generation. How awesome is that? Blameless here is the idea that you are distinctively, identifiably straight. There's nothing that anybody can point a finger at and say, this is out of place in your life. That's what it means to be blameless. There is is no law against love. Did you know that? There's no law against that. It's not love like the world loves. The the world loves with this kind of excuse-laden way of following your desires. You know, love includes discipline. Did you know that? Love includes confrontation. Did you know that? If the church followed after Jesus Christ... We would love one another. In doing so, we would be seen by the world as being distinctively Christian. That's a sacrifice in a lot of places. And for you in your workplace or your family, it might mean taking a stand where nobody wants to take a stand. And you not stick out like a sore thumb or, oh yeah, that's them. And that's, 
Jesus freaks or whatever they want to label you as, that's a bit of a sacrifice. Is Jesus worth it? Remember I asked this question earlier. Is, is he worth you receiving a little ridicule this side of eternity for what he's done for you? Think of the little that we really have to give for all that God has already given for us. Not only does it mean blameless, but look a little further in verse 15. He says, uh, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Now, when there's no moon, and if you go out on one of these dark nights in the UP, I'm telling you, I've never seen stars so bright. Even on the mission field, I, I'm amazed. And part of that is that we're at um, sea level over there on the islands. So there's a lot more haze and atmosphere to get through. But way up here where it's so cold... Boy, those stars shine. They just twinkle and shine. Now, if you go outside right now, are you going to see any of them? No, right? Because the, the whole sky is brilliantly bright. That's what heaven looks like. The brilliance of God overshadows everything. And we're enveloped in his love. But that's not our world. Our world is like darkness. Our world is like the pitch midnight. And if you don't realize that, then your star is not shining. Because if you are distinctively Christian, you will stand out against that black backdrop and you will be brilliantly twinkling, shining forth the love of God. I I love that picture because it's only true in darkness. And you and I, we live in a world that is dark. And the command here is that if we're going to sacrifice and serve Christ, it means a conformity of our hearts, not to look like the world, but to look distinctively Christian. All right, lastly is... Comfort. Sacrifice in serving Christ means giving your comfort. This is a tough one to preach in America. Because you all leave here and go to your heated vehicles, to heated houses, to comfortable lives. Um, There's many places in this world where they don't have that. And, And to follow after Christ means a level of discomfort that you and I don't have. You talk to Mara after our service. You ask what it's like in Mexico and how... Uh, how many homes have air conditioning down there and, and what it's like to eat beans and rice for six out of seven meals a week. Um, you, you and I, we are very confused as to what it means to follow Christ because we live in affluence. And Jesus says it's easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle than get a rich man to go to heaven because what do rich people need? I'm good. Boy, are we rich in America. If you're going to sacrifice and if you're truly going to serve Christ, You've got to be willing to give up your comforts. Uh, Paul outlines a little bit of this in verse 17. Um, he says here at the end, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, that's the same word that he uses earlier in chapter 2, when in verse 7, Jesus made himself nothing. Jesus poured himself out. Paul says, I'm being poured out. And I want you to know that the first part of comfort is seeing a connection with Christ. You need to see a connection with Jesus Christ in your life. Willing to walk where he walked. Suffer what he suffered. Did did you see it earlier in verse 15? Jump back up there. Look at this. So that you may become blameless and pure children of who? Did you see that? Children of God. You're in his family. You're connected with him. We sang about that this morning. I am who he says I am. I am not forsaken. I am a child of God, yes, I Well, if you are, that means following after some of the, 
some of the rules of that family. In the family of God, there's a kind of obedience that we have to follow. Just like in the Flunker family, there's certain rules that we follow in the family of God. And we ought to desire that from the inside out. It also means a confidence in God's ultimate triumph. Um, If you look back in verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you. Do you see the inward flow of obedience? If you call yourself a Christian, it it don't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we dress up like. God lives in me. I want to obey because he's at work in my heart and in my life. And my confidence is not in an external form of religiousness. But it's in God who dwells in my heart. He says it similarly at the end here. He says in verse 17, uh, poured out on the sacrifice and the service that's coming from your faith. The only way that, God, that Paul could have that kind of confidence is if he knew that God would finish what he starts. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 6, flip in your Bibles. Philippians 1, verse 6. I'm just trying to tie together the thoughts here. Look what he says. Philippians 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Where does Paul put his confidence? In God, in Jesus Christ. And because of that, he is willing to give up his comforts. He's willing to surrender this. Because his confidence isn't in himself. Lastly, there's a community that comes from giving up your comfort. Look, if you see, if you saw the whole church giving, but you were keeping whatever it is that you have, you'd be convicted to say, that's, that's not what my family is doing. We, we're all giving this up. And I'm willing to surrender and sacrifice what I have because we're doing it together. This is what he means at the end when he says, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you, verse 18, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. There's a community aspect of giving up our comforts. Because you and I, we hope not in this life, we hope for the one to come. So here's what this means. Just in conclusion, you need to understand this. This is worth writing down. Ministry is costly. Don't ever think that it's not. Ministry is costly. The question is, is Jesus worth it? you is it worth what you'll lose in this life to follow him so here's what ministry will cost you it'll cost you your compliance your cooperation your conformity your comfort i had to add a fifth one though it will cost you your culture and in my preparation in my study of this i could not get by the the way this passage ends look with me again verse 17 and 18 even if i'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming to your faith, I'm glad. What? I'm hoping you're understanding it. That should not make any sense. Wait a minute. You're telling me that if you're in jail, getting whipped and beaten, taking your freedoms away, you're glad? Either Paul is uh, lying, or he's nuts, or he's figured out something that we need to figure out repeatedly in this book. He seeks to take the church's understanding and turn it so that you will think Christianly and not worldly. Do you remember some of the things he says? For me to live is Christ and to die is... What? That's crazy. Um, It's been granted unto you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Remember that one? Say what? What has happened to me has actually served to 
advance? What? Do you, do you see how? I mean, every week I'm preaching the same message. Every week is this idea that you and I, we, we surrender the way of thinking in which our world thinks. He says, even if I'm being poured out upon the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, that's an awesome day. You guys are coming to beat me again? Let's go. Have at her. I'm, I'm rejoicing. And he says, look what he says. And you, I rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Again, either Paul is lying crazy or we need to listen to this and say that the way in which our world has patterned ourselves to think is actually very different from how Scripture says we need to think. We need to be willing to give up our culture. It's crazy. So this is my challenge to you. What if no one joins your ministry? Is Jesus worth it? What if it means sacrificing, earning a dollar? Oh, i got to work today. I don't know if I can fill it. Is Jesus worth it? What if your family doesn't support you in your faith? Is Jesus worth it? What if it means that you're called out as a Christian, one of those Jesus people? Is it worth it? What if it means seeking forgiveness from somebody you've wronged? Is, is it worth it? Is the blood of Jesus worth it? What if it means the humility to admit that you were wrong? What if it means that you get called far from home like Mexico? What if it means missing your TV event? Come on. What if it means sacrificing your house, your wealth, your health, your comfort, your car, your job, your energy? You fill in the blank. Is Jesus worth it? Here's what I want the church to, to choose between. I, I, want us to be, I want us to be the type of people who bring God our best. Who are we willing to sacrifice? Not just scribbling something. Here, Jesus, made this for you. Uh-uh. Try again. You can do better. I want us to be the kind of people who give our best and are willing to sacrifice. Not because the pastor said I got to. Not some external form. But because we want to from within. Obedience comes from within this desire to follow God. So that's my challenge to you. What, what, what are you bringing God? 